Hello everyone and welcome to the Aggieville Alley Cats, where no matter rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. And I am here with the other host, Connor Baltazor. And my name is Ace Edwards, and thank you for joining us on today's show. Now today's show is going to be a lot more focused on recruiting, which is typical for preseason and off-season shows, but we'll also be talking about and going back through are ranking the games on our schedule from easiest to hardest. But let's firstly just dive straight into the recruiting news, which really can come down to the stories of three people. Those people being Reggie Stubblefield, the man, the myth, the legend himself. The legend. <laughs> Kingsley. Continues. It, it will. <laughs> I'll, I'll let Connor take that story because <laughs> he loves that story. And then we got a recent commit in Kingsley Uguwu, as well as the recent news regarding Caden Crawford, the current Iowa commit for defensive end. For now. For now. Allegedly. Allegedly. We'll go into that story when it comes to time, but first let's talk about who very well could be in contention for Connor and I's favorite new recruit from from this recruiting cycle. At least in terms of story and personality. Let's talk about Reggie Stubblefield, the nickelback slash safety transferring into Kansas State University from Prairie View A&M. What do you have on him, Connor? Um, well, basically, everything about him is just sheer chaos. I mean, there's nothing that's like truly defined about him in any way, shape, or form. The chaotic like, being known as Stubblefield? Yes, old, old Reginald. <laughs> but he... Uh, he... His whole recruitment has been controversial, to put it lightly. I mean, we look at, even in the beginning, uh, people were worried that, like, the coaching staff was getting, like, catfished, like, after he'd initially committed, because he had, like, like seven blocked punts and, like, like two-time All-American stuff. Like, up I, got on two, his, uh... I got 12 blocked kicks, bro. No, you yeah. don't. <laughs> no. Yeah, like, he was putting all that stuff on his Twitter account, and... A pretty cursory glance at it. You don't even have to really look it up. But you can just tell that it's it's just wrong. Like, it's just false in some way. Maybe he was including, like, practice stats. I don't know where the All-Americans <laughs> came from, but maybe he bought a lot of kicks in practice. And granted, like, if uh, you go onto Prairie View A&M's page, uh, his stats are actually really hard to compile because he's listed under, like, four different names. Like, he was under, like, like Reggie Stubble, Reginald Stubb, like Reggie Stubblefield, like, and the, all those names, they don't like combine those stats. So it was basically like four different versions of him existed at Prairie and you math. No, that, that's actually true. We just got yeah. one of the Reggie. They actually have four different R Stubble somethings yeah. on their roster. He just cloned himself, like Shadow Clone Jutsu himself all over the defensive field. That's where he got his 12 blocked kicks from. Which, honestly, that's kind of impressive if he was able to do that. I think that Casey has other uses for him beyond the football field, if that's the case. <laughs> like, like I think that guy's going to be headed down to the lowest depths of Inbath here in the next couple of years, and we're never going <laughs> to see him again. <laughs> it's taken down to, like, level 30 or whatever. I don't know how deep that thing goes. <laughs> but, but, yeah, Reggie, uh, that was the beginning of his controversial recruitment. And then uh, he ended up uh, saying that he was declaring for the draft, and that turned out to be something that wasn't really his fault. That, but it was like a transcript issue, I think, from Purview A and M. And 
Uh, following that, it was, well, that's the end of the legend of Reggie Stubblefield. But... Unless... Unless... He, uh... All of a sudden, they were able to figure out the transcript issue, and now Reggie has returned to his rightful home of Kansas State University in Manhattan, Kansas. And in doing so, not only has allowed the legendary story of Reggie Stubblefield to continue, it also fills a much-needed hole on the defensive side of the ball, and that is secondary depth. He might start at nickel, he might back up at nickel, I honestly don't care. The point is that we now have more players with starting experience in the secondary, and that is the biggest thing, period, from uh, the whole addition of him, along with Sincere Mason of Kennesaw State. The addition of those two guys from the FCS ranks, that's absolutely massive. And while the secondary still isn't as deep as you would like, we've gotten to the point where you can kind of uh, pump the brakes on it being uh, like a glaring weakness. Yeah, like we're at the point where the starting level secondary is among the best in the conference mm-hmm. and is definitely in like the top like 25% in the country. Uh, and uh, But the depth is the question, and the depth at this point is now serviceable, I would say, as opposed to a liability. Because before, we were going to have guys like uh, Ryan Hennington and Ross Elder on the 2D and they're fine players, but like Ryan Hennington should probably be a linebacker. I see you smiling. Like I'm trying to be nice. <laughs> Hennington's a guy that like he has more the build of a linebacker. He shouldn't be playing safety. And then Elder is a guy like he was a walk on, and he was just like everybody else. He didn't get a spring, so I'm trying to be fair to him. Like he didn't get a spring or a fall camp, and he got thrown into that role when he may not be ready. But nevertheless, here. We now have uh, actual depth in the secondary, which is a sigh of relief, I think, for this team. Yeah, it's certainly a, a sigh of relief. And it's, like you said, it's the number one thing that you and I were both kind of concerned about was not necessarily the starters at defensive back, especially considering we have people like Julius Brents, Russ Yeast, Echo Boido, and my personal breakout candidate and Justin Gardner. But now that we have that definitively the two people that would be starting at nickel, or at least rotating at nickel, and maybe rotate T. Denson in there a little bit, with Reggie Stubblefield and, you just said his name, uh, Sincere Mason from Kennesaw State. Both of those people have rotations at nickelback, which is was the most glaring need, other than linebacker, on the defense. Which... You know, having depth is always a good thing, and having a starting nickelback in a in the Big 12, which predominantly runs spread offenses, is also debatably, debatably, a good thing to have. I, I think you're on to something there, Ace. Uh, having good defensive backs in a pass-heavy league, uh, my sources are reporting that that's important. But more to follow on that, we'll, we'll see if that actually remains important. I think we need, like, 20 more seasons of... Uh, a sample size to actually determine if having a lot of defensive backs is good. Yeah. But we'll see in the future. Like, we'll let you know. But for now, we're going to continue to run a 3-4, one deep safety. So. Okay, yeah. We're going to be running yeah. the bear front from the 1980s. But, so, something to note about Reggie Stubblefield is that he's actually the tiniest bit oversized for what you'd consider to be a typical slot corner or a nickelback. Weighing, he's at six foot 195, 
which typically your typical slot corners are going to be 510 511 and in the in the that in that weight range, maybe a tiny bit lower, but I actually feel that's a good thing because of one one reason in particular, and that's the rise of the oversized slot receiver in the Big 12, which is a completely different, completely different rant for a completely different day when we're talking more about offensive scheming in the Big 12 specifically, and also why K-State tends to be a bit different than that, but Having someone like that who is six feet tall as opposed to your typical 5'9", covering someone who's going to be six foot or higher, that's going to be a, a boon for us. And also, he's clearly shown the ability to blitz just looking off of the film that I've seen. So, and I know that Chris Kleiman enjoys nickel blitzes. I've seen that from him a couple of times. And, you know, if we get someone who can cover okay and blitz okay as a nickelback I think it's going to be a massive improvement from what we had last year yeah I, I totally agree because I mean we honestly we were solid nickel until Will Jones decided to transfer midseason mm-hmm. I I was really shocked when that happened because he was just a redshirt freshman and he was uh starting at nickelback and I was just shocked that he decided to uh, uh up and leave I guess part of it was that uh, A.J. Parker kind of got shifted into the knuckle, although was that a response to him transferring? I don't exactly remember. I'm assuming it was a response to him transferring because we probably would have rather had him on the outside, A.J. Parker. Yeah. But nevertheless, Will Jones was going to be the guy at nickel. He was perfect for the position. We had him. He was ready. He was young. We're going to get him for at least two or three years. There and then he oh. transferred. Yeah, and he was really promising because he had a... I think in the very first game, he had a blocked kick and an interception, if I recall. Yes, he did. Which, yeah, which was absolutely massive for a retro freshman, because he had, he had that blocked punt on the very first drive. And that, that was in that weird streak where we had, like, a blocked punt or kick in, like, the first four games of the season. Yes. Like, that was that was something I'd never seen before. Like, I, I was really surprised. But I was sad when it ended, honestly. <laughs> I was, too. I got to the point where I was kind of expecting it, and then it just kind of went away. Which... <laughs> was kind of sad. I guess teams like started to realize that they had to try on special teams against <laughs> us after we just like like eviscerated KU in the punt return game. Special teams you. Special teams you. The the branding, I guess. <laughs> I guess. But one one final note on Reggie Stubblefield is we appreciate his optimism because he recently sent out a tweet Whenever he announced that he was coming to Kansas State University to play football, he sent out the tweet saying, let's win the Big 12 and a natty, which I want to happen, Mr. Stubblefield, and I appreciate your optimism. However, (laughs) I don't think we're there yet, unless he's literally going to take all four forms of himself and bring it back into one person and he single-handedly covers every area of the field running like a 2-140 I, I, you know if he does, cool he might, we don't know that we, we don't know practice. we don't know Yeah, who's to, say? who's to say yeah, but, you know, I think it, there is a percent of a percent chance of us winning the Big 12 is it likely? Yeah. No. I don't see us winning a natty this year. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, I put the chances of us winning the Big 12 this year at, like, a 1 to 1.5% chance. 
like that's about where I would have it I think like it's technically not impossible but it's extremely unlikely however I do think the chances of us like kind of flirting with going to the baseball championship game are actually very high like I would probably probably Relative, relatively speaking yeah like like I I think the idea of us like finishing in that area where we're kind of sort of flirting with that like the three to four five range i think that's where we're gonna live this year at least i'm hoping that's like a good that's a good scenario for us i think and so reggie has a ton of optimism uh, about that like he he sees those odds and he says don't tell me the odds don't tell me the odds Yes, yeah. we are going undefeated and beating everybody. Which, yeah, when our winning man. over under is three and a half, I'm not sure <laughs> if no, our, ours is like five and a half. I thought. I thought it was no. I thought it was three and a half. No, Stanford's is three and a half. Are you sure? I thought I was. I'm curious. Um, hang on. It is. You can go ahead and keep talking while I'm looking this up. I'm not paying for access to the Wichita Eagle. All right. Um, <laughs> I I think that Stubblefield, even if he is a little delusional, I think that we need that on this team because I, I think that for a very long time, especially towards the end of Snyder 2.0, uh, K-State got very, like, woe is me. Like, we're such a hard place to recruit, mm-hmm. like, like then, that's kind of been a hot topic over the last couple of days, uh, I think as well. This whole uh, Manhattan's hard to recruit to, like K State's this teeny tiny little school, small school that like never does anything, which is false. But that's yeah, been the narrative, not. and and that's been the argument the last couple of days that I've seen floating around the internet. Like, because there was some ESPN article. This is kind of going off script, but it was basically some anonymous Big Twelve assistant coach said uh, something about Manhattan. And you can't he recruit was, to Manhattan. There's nothing yeah, he's to like, do there. Yeah, he was like, like K State basketball like has no brand, never has like they've been they've had success, but no one knows. And like man, and like and they're in Manhattan, which isn't a good place. And it's like I think that's like a really bad take, just period, because that assistant coach, yeah, that coach, his entire experience in Manhattan has been Bramlage Coliseum, the window of a hotel room. And a bus ride in between those two places, like and maybe he, the road in. Yeah, like he he definitely has not lived here. He has not even spent a significant amount of time here. It doesn't really sound like he's really made an attempt to <laughs> understand anything care. about Manhattan. Yeah, it doesn't. Yeah, because like I mean, like that's kind of what happens though with all these like national stories about K State. They're always like Manhattan sucks, and it's, I'm sure it's if not, you ask, it doesn't. <laughs> yeah, like I'm sure if you ask them, have you been to Manhattan? Nine times out of ten, they would say no, because that's just kind of how it is with a town. They saw the billboard. Oh, you're probably right. <laughs> oh, jeez. I don't want to talk about it. We're not talking about it. <laughs> anyway, um, last note on Reggie Stubblefield. By the way, the, the over-under on ESPN's three and a half. On most betting sites, it's five and a half. Gotcha. Anyway, last note on Reggie Stubblefield. We appreciate his optimism. But he's not necessarily bringing along, but he has another teammate in this class that is going to be alongside him on the opposite side of the ball, on the offensive line, and that is Kingsley Ugwu. Ugwu. Uwu. I'm going to cut that out. I'm going to cut that out. Um, 
from Hutchinson Community College, who is transferring in and was the top offensive tackle prospect in the nation in terms of JUCO transfers. And really? Yes, he was. According to uh, which site? Uh, I just remember reading the breakdown for him on Rivals because he was an NGC, NJCAA All-American. I did see that. I saw he was first team uh, All-American this year in the NJCAA. Which I'm pretty uh, sure means that he was probably the top. Yeah, recruit. which would make sense. I was just wondering because he is unrated on uh, 24-7, but I, I couldn't. I, they don't even have him on Rivals uh, for commits for some reason I anyway am. but uh, I believe you anyway so he will immediately slide in at tackle which is you know with the way our offensive line was clicking at the end of this year you might shrug your shoulders and say okay so this is why it matters because he will slot where Cameron or Camden Cooper Cooper Cameron's his brother Camden's his brother Camden I, uh, names. Anyway. Cameron is not a real person. Okay. <laughs> his brother, BB, will be sliding in to guard, which is his more natural position. And we get a more natural tackle into the mix. Which, guards playing tackle typically, unless you're Dalton Reisner, doesn't work too well. Which, to BB's credit, he made it work extraordinarily well. But now he's. Shut up, phone. <laughs> <laughs> You can't see that's it. A great, it that was a great toss. I threw it across. I don't even know where it landed. Anyway. It landed like right in the middle of your bed. Excellent throw. Oh, thank you. But we keep getting so distracted. He'll slot in at tackle, which is his natural position, and it gives a nice blocking force on that offensive line who's been proven to perform at the highest level at junior college football especially at the perennial powerhouse that is Hutchinson Community College, the Blue Dragons. And that is yep. something that I'm very excited about. Not only because of the player himself, which, don't get me wrong, I will always love good offensive line recruits, but this marks something very, very important for Kansas State recruiting across the board. We won a recruiting battle with multiple Division I schools for an in-state recruit. Because Uguwu had offers from Texas Tech, Baylor, and Houston. Which, granted, you could make an argument that Texas Tech and Baylor were kind of gimmies for beating them. But the one that I'm really caught with is Houston. Because Houston has been a pretty consistently good program that has been able to attract players to their team. And we won a recruiting battle. And that is something to be celebrated with an in-state recruit. Yeah, absolutely. And he had a Baylor, or no, he used it to say Baylor. He had a Colorado offer as well. Okay. And and so that's uh, uh, three uh, other Power 5 schools that we had to beat out, which is very, it's it's a breath of fresh air, uh, I will say, for uh, for Kingsley to commit here. Because, uh, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. I think the biggest thing that it does uh, amongst all the other stuff, like you said, is it slides Cooper BB in, and that takes the offensive line from being above average to, like, actually very enticing because that's a team that's going to bring back, I think, seven players that started last year, uh, eight maybe, because, what, Duffy, 
BB. Duffy, Revis. Nope. Revis. Um, BB. BB. Noah Johnson. Noah Johnson. Uh, uh, then Katori Leviston. Leviston. And uh, <laughs> Taylor Poitier at six. And Kingsley was starting for his place. Uh, I just and that's yeah, that's a college, so I'll count that. So that's seven. <laughs> so that's seven players that I can think of off the top of my head that have starting experience. I may have missed someone. Actually, I think Ben Adler started games for us last year as well. He did. So there, eight, eight guys. Which and is a that's, massive that's a step pretty... forward. That is a massive step forward from last year where we didn't have a single returning offensive lineman who started from the previous year. Exactly right. Because the offensive line the last couple of games of the year really came along. And uh, because through the first few, they 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 were not good. Like uh, Noah Johnson was getting manhandled in the middle. Uh, Katori Levison was able to keep up with people. Uh, Revis like was doing like okay, but like not up to par. But they all really grew uh, along or down the line, I should say. And that was really encouraging for this year. And adding Kingsley and kicking BBN to his natural spot that all of a sudden makes this a really formidable group. And I think we were already saying that they're too deep across the board. Now they're at the point where they have like 11 or 12 guys that could legitimately play and I'd be fine with. Yeah, and exactly. I love that. I love that so much for this team because having a great offensive line, or the, I guess I'll hesitate to say great, but they're close. If they prove it on the field, they're great. Uh, having, having that, that can make our offense, our, our skill position players just a little bit better. It'll definitely help Deuce because he won't have to fight for his life as much. And the receivers, honestly, might benefit from it because they'll get a little bit more time to get open because that's what they struggled with is getting open. So just maybe that extra half a second, maybe that's enough. Yeah. And we, we can see a major step forward for that. And for the future, because something I noticed with Will Howard that I talked to you about last year was that Whenever Will Howard becomes the starting quarterback, which I'll assume happens next year, because I think Rubley will still need a bit more time to develop. And Will Howard didn't play horribly as a true freshman. I think that Will Howard will step into the starting quarterback role next year. And the number one thing that I noticed was in every single game, except maybe the Texas Tech game, the number one thing that I noticed was that his footwork got very, very sloppy when under pressure. And it led to a lot of errant throws. Which is strange, because during the Texas Tech game, he had a few games where he had pressure literally in the middle of his chest, and he was able to make some decent back foot throws. I'm thinking of the angle route, or the slant route, rather, to Deuce Vaughn over the middle of the field. Right. But if we're in, of course, it always benefits to have a quarterback not under pressure, unless your name is Joe Burrow, in which case you actually got better throwing under pressure while you were at LSU, the national championship year. I don't think Skylar Thompson is going to have the same career trajectory as Joe Burrow. It'd be nice. I don't think it's going to happen. It'd be great. Yeah. yeah. I'd love for him to go from a pretty good to Heisman winner uh, yeah, from his second to last year to his last year. That'd be really great for us, I think. You know, Stubblefield, he'd be onto something if that was the <laughs> case. Yeah, we just come out of nowhere. Anyway, keeping a quarterback and the running game clean is always going to be a good thing, especially if you're like Kansas State and you tend to want to establish more of that running back sort of mentality. You want to run the ball first and then hopefully set it up later. 
and as well as set up with a uh, fly sweeps because if we have agile offensive linemen which i haven't seen enough film of kingsley to know if he's more of an agility guy or a power guy or a pass blocking guy if he's any i'm sure giving messingham some credit i'm sure that he can figure out what to do with him no matter what but having that offensive lineman will help us all across the board and it that's one of the universal truths <laughs> having a good offensive line is good allegedly that's allegedly. that's what i've heard i've what heard that a good offensive line means that good things happen generally but yeah. we'll see we'll see yeah, why do you think Wisconsin is always in the conversation to at least be ranked in the top 10? Because they always have ridiculous linemen. It's true. Like, they, they just so consistently have a, a great offensive line. Like, that's why there's so many great Wisconsin running backs from, like, the last decade. Like, great. And that's also why a lot of them didn't really work out in the NFL. Like, uh, Monte Ball is the, uh, the top guy that I think of in that vein. Uh, I guess Melvin Gordon, he worked out, and uh, Jonathan and Jonathan Taylor. Uh, James White he's... worked out as a receiving back. Yep. So he, yeah, James White took a completely different role than he had in college and was able to adapt. Although I don't think he would have worked out on any other team besides no. the Patriots. <laughs> no, because they they just do things and they just witchcraft. Kinda... Yes, they they've sold their souls. On that note from one in-state recruit to another, and also someone that we had a lot of doom and gloom about in our recruiting, our first recruiting episode, I should say. That is defensive end from Lansing, Kansas, Caden Crawford. Specifically the one from Lansing, because there's like four Caden Crawfords in Kansas, and two of them want to play football. But the news about Caden Crawford is that he was in Manhattan recently. Not only was he in Manhattan, because you can excuse that, he was with other players as well as Taylor Bratt, the recruiting coordinator at Kansas State University. What else do you have on that, my dear friend? Um, well, it, it, it took the K-State Twitter verse by storm, I guess, is the, uh, the first thing. Because that first post, it was a picture of him, Taylor Bratt, a uh, K-State walk-on, I believe, and then some guy. I have no idea who it was, but it was some dude was there as well. I was maybe Caden's dad. I'm I think he had a picture sure. of Silas. I was gonna. I was saving that one for for later on this tale. Uh-oh. But they they be yeah. They started out. It was in Aggieville, and that picture got posted. And all of a sudden, there was this uh this kind of like, wait, what's he doing here? But like, it was just a picture, so people were like, oh well. Uh, maybe he's just there. But if you looked closer, he had uh, visitor credentials on. And that started to raise some eyebrows. But people were like, and he didn't post it on his own. It was some random guy. Like, it's exciting. It's fun to look at. And it's fun to speculate about. And it definitely got people uh, thinking about, you know, maybe we're still in this. Even though he's committed, maybe we're still in this. And it was fun. But then it got turned to 11 the following day. Because... It was a Silas Etter, I believe. He posted two pictures of him and Caden Crawford in all-white K-State uniforms uh, in the stadium and then in the locker room as well. And uh, I think Caden uh, reposted them, commented under them and stuff, and people 
just absolutely lost their minds at yeah. this. I, I mean, the forums have just gone nuts, as they should, honestly. It's yeah. it's deserved. We've been in such a dry spell for recruiting. Everyone and has. Anything. But it, it, it pretty much confirms that Caden was on a true recruiting visit and apparently had a good enough time uh, to um, take some cool pictures and um, also post them while being committed. So that, yes. that was the big thing. Because uh, Kirk Ferentz, for a long time, uh, the head coach of uh, Iowa, uh, he had a policy where if crews went on even unofficial visits to other colleges while they were committed to Iowa, their scholarship would get revoked. Uh, that happened a couple years ago to a four-star running back. At least that's what I saw some Iowa fan post online that that did actually happen. But the offer from Caden Crawford was not revoked. And uh, that could be any number of things. Like you could say, oh, I was just doing it as courtesy. But it's more likely that uh, they were able to smooth it over uh, in one way or another because Caden's really talented. And they that's very much an apply as you go sort of rule I'm assuming for the Iowa staff because you don't want to lose a guy like Caden over something petty like that. Yeah. But it's incredibly encouraging from the perspective of a K-State fan. And if I were a Iowa fan, I would be very nervous right now about losing Caden Crawford. And on the other hand, if I'm a K-State fan, I'd be nervous about him still remaining committed to uh, Iowa after all of this drama because Right now, I don't think anybody knows how that's going to go, and there's a great argument for either side of it, I think. And ultimately, it's just going to come down to one day, Caden's just going to say what he's going to do. He's either going to shut down his recruitment, or he's going to flip. Yeah. And as a K-State fan, I lean towards him flipping, honestly, at this point, just because of how public he was, and uh, and also the, the nugget of information that he did not tell Iowa that he was going to be visiting K-State mm-hmm. until after he had visited which shows yep. that he knew that they were going to try and stop him from doing it, and he just went out and did it anyways, which is awesome the balls on, on his that part. Man. That's incredible like, on Caden's part. Like, to, yeah, to have the stones to do that as a high schooler, to, to basically defy your alleged future coaching staff uh, to to go visit somewhere else, that, that was awesome on his part. And then also today, uh, to kind of wrap that up, uh, Sterling Lockett, he posted some stuff from his recruiting visit, and Crawford uh, commented something under it. I don't remember the exact words, but then Sterling said something along the lines of uh, like, when are you going to flip, or something like that. Yeah, when are you going to flip, and then he did the yeah, like the, to, the, uh, the yeah. tight lips emoji. Yeah, tight lips emoji. There's a few different ways to interpret that. Whatever it is, it's probably reading in too deeply. Exactly. But <laughs> But, but regardless, Caden is more than aware of the fan response that he got uh, from uh, this whole ordeal. And he it was incredibly positive, which I think is the biggest part of it, is that everybody, it, it was an all-around very positive thing. Because sometimes K-State fans online can be really negative, yeah. especially publicly. Like, I think we've just become accustomed to pain, but we, <laughs> but we cannot mm. continue to display that outwardly. This wall is not a deciding hide factor ever. Yeah, hide the pain. You have to hide it. Because then people are going to be less likely to come here. But And then another thing from Caden, I'll, I'll wrap up on this. Uh, one thing they could potentially do is a guy like Jaron Kanak that may uh, crack the door a little bit on him. I'm not saying we're going to win 
that battle. I still oh, I think am. we lose that battle. No. But I, I, I do think that we're going to, at the very least, have a fighting chance, maybe make it to top three. But I'm assuming, if, if I'm Jaren, uh, I see the uh, the reaction that Caden got, and, like the positive reception, and see that you don't have to go to Clemson or Alabama as a Kansas kid to be remembered and kind of attain legend status, which I'm, I'm sure is something that he's looking for as a four-star guy. Uh, it's, there's a whole different legend status to staying home and being great uh, at home. And maybe that's something that he'll see. If he doesn't, then all power to him. I mean, go to Clemson. Like, that's a great school. And you're and all likely you can have a great career there as an athlete. But... This, nevertheless, this maybe gives K-State a fighting chance elsewhere. Yeah. And uh, here's where I burst your bubble when I say that Caden Crawford just wanted an excuse to post the all-white uniforms for K-State. He has no intentions of going to K-State. He just wanted to wear the all-white ones. Which he should like He should like the petition to have us wear them more. <laughs> Absolutely, you should. Because yeah. they're beautiful uniforms. But yeah, he just wanted to wear those ones. And honestly, who can blame them? They're gorgeous. Granted, I, I guess we don't know how good they actually are because it's been so long since we had legitimate alternates that we don't actually know what looks <laughs> good. What do these so, look like? Yeah, like, it, it's just... She's like, this is different. Is that good? <laughs> like, or is that bad? Because there, like, yeah, there is, like, that legion of fans that, like, any time that we play a game while wearing alternate uniforms and we lose, they think that they somehow the, yeah, they're like the alternate uniforms like we're distracting the players or something like that. That's like the ultimate old head take and please never <laughs> say that again if you've said that before. Because it's like the perspective. They like must think that the players stitch the uniforms themselves instead of they practice. Do. Like they, they just like sit in the locker room. Like they don't go to class. They don't like watch practice. film. They just yeah, they just sit there and like are like stitching their new uniforms for that week. Like this is much more important than practice. Like no, no, <laughs> that's all determined before the season even happens. And I doubt they're even like really choosing. And if they are, it takes all of, like ten minutes maybe. Like, relax on that. And that's a whole side tangent, but it's something that was really annoying me back in 2019 when we were wearing some of those alternates because we were kind of cursed, honestly, when we wore the, like we lost every game that we the white cats uh, hats, dude. Yep. Yeah, oh my goodness <laughs> if, if you don't know what they're what i'm referencing there just look it up they look amazing but we lose in them but this these these three or two commits and one person who may or may not flip always raises the question of what holes are left and honestly i look at this roster and for the only holes that i really see are at the same position where i've always seen them and that is wide receiver yeah i i totally agree I know wide receiver is by far the biggest question mark on this team, other than you can make an argument for linebacker, but at the very least, like, Daniel Green was, like, like okay last year, and uh, we're switching to a 3-3-5, so Khalid Duke is moving back to that uh, hybrid D-end linebacker spot, and we know he's good, and then Wayne Jones is moving into the hybrid uh, safety linebacker spot, and we know that, like, that's probably a more natural fit for him. So, linebacker isn't as big a question mark, although it is still a question mark, and I would have preferred to see, like, a stud transfer there. But yeah. a wide receiver is the most unproven position on the team. Uh, one of my breakout candidates is in that position group, Keenan Garber. I think he's really talented. And uh, apparently Tremaine Thompson thinks the same thing. At least I thought I saw that on Twitter. Uh, he did an interview, and 
I'm pretty sure that he mentioned that um, uh, he thought that Keenan Garber would be a guy to break out. I may be crazy, but I do remember him saying that. At least I thought I did. But Keenan Garber's my guy uh, coming up this year, which, I mean, if the John Kurtz streak of luck goes into <laughs> uh, the my guy stuff, then uh, uh, Garber's about to have a terrible season. I'm really sorry. <laughs> like, We've established that I, I actually outright named two, so, you know, don't send me, don't burn down my apartment if they end up not doing that, please. <laughs> but that, that kind of concludes the recruiting news, but we also have another segment of this show, which is kind of hearkening back to the first episode we ever did, but instead of going through each game in depth, we're just going to quote-unquote quickly go through and rank the games from what we believe will be the easiest game to the hardest game. And I feel like you and I both have the exact same easiest game on the schedule. So do we just want to say it at the same time? From a countdown? Yeah, do you, want, do you want to do a uh, countdown from 3 to 1 on after 1? Like 3 to 1 game? Yeah. 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 So 3, 2, two 1... KU. Yeah, it's, it's the Kansas Jayhawks. It's them. Because they're the only team that I actively believe got worse in this last year, other than maybe Texas Tech, because of they had a high profile cornerback transfer and they lost Puka Williams and Andrew Parchment, which were basically the only two people on their team capable of generating offense. Puka Williams was lost to the NFL draft. Andrew Parchment transferred to Florida State University. And I just don't feel like there's anything to say there. If we can go in there with Will Howard, which granted Will Howard was kind of riding a bit of momentum from the Texas Tech and TCU games, I feel like we can we can beat them with our, our, our actual starting quarterback. Oh, yeah. Like, I, I'm not worried about this game unless KU uh, just happens to have just a competitive season. I, I would be absolutely shocked if that happens because they lost uh, Parchment, who was their best offensive player, and they lost Karan Prunty, who was a freshman All-American, their best defensive player. And uh, Parchment already hurt, but Prunty just transferred like a few weeks ago, and that was that was just a death blow to any potential gains that they could have made. And like the old adage goes, like, like with a team like that, uh, like on one hand... Like, they uh, return nobody, but on the other hand, they return nobody, like, yeah. and vice versa. Like, it's both a good and a bad, so I guess we'll we'll have to wait and see. Uh, they did get a lot of transfers from Buffalo. Uh, we'll see if they're good or not, uh, but this is a team that should... I, I don't know if they can regress, so I don't want to say that they will. I don't think they're going to be better, I think is the best way to put it. And, you know, honestly, I think they could regress. Like, they, they may be even less competitive in some situations, which would be, wow. Yeah, that'd like, be kind of remarkable. It, it honestly would be. Like, OU might, if they weren't such a pass-heavy offense, they might get the all-time rushing record on them again. But <laughs> I think that's unlikely to happen. But I don't know exactly how many uh, people left their program. A lot. A lot. I'm trying to look it up right now, uh, just trying to see. Uh, but I don't know like where there's a uh, a database of this. 
uh, here. I'll look at a uh, this twenty four seven article. Uh, it looks like they have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve players from their two deep at the beginning of last year uh, transferred or left in some capacity, which is just like insane. Wow. Like, because Andrew Parchment left, then Stephon Robinson was another one of their good receivers who left. Ezra Naylor left. Karan Prunty. Uh, uh, Elijah Jones, Marcus Harris, DeJon Terry. He was good. He, he went to uh, Tennessee. So, like, they have players that are transferring to good spots. Parchment went to Florida State. Stephon Robinson to Northwestern. Karan Prunty hasn't chosen yet. I've heard it's Virginia Tech. Marcus Harris went to Auburn. DeJon Terry went to Tennessee. Like, so these are good players, and they're transferring to good places. It's actually the opposite of K-State. Like, Jay Harris, like, like he was a highly touted recruit. He just transferred to Preview a and Like, and I think that K-State had one Power 5 outgoing transfer, two technically, because uh, uh, Josh Youngblood is at Rutgers, and Matthew mm-hmm. Pullamau, he ended up walking on at Arizona State, but we'll see how long that lasts, because Man. Arizona State is about to get destroyed by some sanctions. For yeah. recruiting, but I don't know. I we've talked about KU longer than we should. I was just curious to see like how many transfers out they had, and the answer was a lot. Yeah, and, and they have a new head coach, which I don't think you could get worse than Les Miles was these last few years. But at the same time, uh, that remains to be seen. Yeah, like Leopold, he has already offended some area high school coaches by uh, moving some of their games to Friday nights when you know high school players are playing football Mm -hmm. and and he also he just in general isn't really seen as like a super inspiring guy like he's a decent developer but KU I don't know how well they'll do with that in this era of football like they might make it to some three win seasons with him but with the great day fire coaches he's not going to get anything done no he's he's not incompetent but it's not just competency that's needed to bring that program back. And I don't know if uh, Leopold's the guy to do it, but let's move on. Let's move on. I think you and I have different number two easiest games on the season. Yeah. Do you so, want to go first? Sure, I'll go first. And my second easiest game of the season will be our FCS opponent, Southern Illinois. And there's a lot of reasons as to why I've calmed down from where I initially was on that first episode of this podcast with Southern Illinois. And that is, I looked back at a game we played a few years ago, I believe in 2019, and that was Nichols State University. They were a very good team at the FCS level. And then I remembered, wait, there is a very large skill gap between FBS and FCS. So even a very, very good FCS team will in all likelihood lose to an FBS team, especially to an FBS team like Kansas State that is, I will say it, is on the up and up in terms of both player development and records from previous years. We're not counting the COVID season. That doesn't count. doesn't exist. But I just look back at the Nickel State game, and that was a game that I think for about two and a half minutes was uncomfortable, and then, I, and then we decided that we liked playing football and pretty handily beat Nickel State, and then started trolling the kicker, which the kicker really enjoyed, and started trolling the rest of his team along with us. Which, that was my first Kansas State game that I ever attended live, and let me tell you, 
trolling the kicker and the kicker trolling back was probably one of my favorite experiences I've ever had. But I've calmed down a lot with a Southern Illinois game because the only FCS school that I'm realistically terrified of is North Dakota State. Even if they weren't that, even if they weren't all that last year, I still think they're the only FCS team that I will consistently be scared of. See, for me, I do have a different one. I went with Texas Tech for mine. And Southern Illinois normally would be like the obvious write-in, like honestly for the easiest, but they did just, they did beat North Dakota State this past season. Mm -hmm. And that has me extremely worried. Uh, so I didn't put them in last. So I have Texas Tech there instead. They did get Tyler Shaw, the transfer from Oregon, but I'm not super worried about that primarily because Texas Tech didn't get a lot better. And I think that Matt Wells is on his absolute last leg in Texas Tech right now. Uh, he's about to get shipped out of Lug out of Lubbock because uh, he is not recruiting well at all. Like if we think K State recruiting is going poorly, I mean, just go look at uh, Texas Tech for a little while, and you will feel much better about our situation because we have commits. We actually have commits, and they do not. And uh, the guys they have on their team, like they were an okay team last year, but they were not great. They didn't really get much better. And uh, they're just not a team that frightens me, like, in the slightest bit. The only thing that can make this game difficult is that it's on the road and uh, that it's right after Iowa State. And that could be a game that really batters us if mm -hmm. Iowa State ends up being good. Which, I mean, I guess TBD, like, we'll, we'll see if they're consistent. But, I don't know, Texas Tech, not a team that particularly worries me, at least right now. We'll see how they do throughout the season, though. Mm-hmm. And Texas Tech was my third easiest game, so... Yeah, and Southern Illinois is my third, so we're pretty close there. Mm-hmm. So, the next one is the fourth easiest game, and I have that pegged as Baylor. And the reason... Me too! Wow! Wow! And the reason I say Baylor is because I'm voting on the entirety of the second half of last year's season being a fluke, and even with it being a fluke, we could have won that Baylor game. Should have. And we should have won that Baylor game. And I'm just banking on Baylor being not necessarily the same team. I think they'll be a bit better. Because I think there are very few teams in college football who get worse in between years, even with people who leave the school. KU is the lone example that I can think of in the Big 12 that got worse. Even Texas Tech got marginally better. But Baylor, I don't think is... I think coming off of Matt Rule, I think until all of those recruits leave and realize that their head coach is not Matt Rule, I think that they're going to be longing for that, and they more or less lost the soul of that team. So for the next one or two years, or until they get a head coach who can emulate what Matt Rule did, good luck with that. I think that they're going to be not a bottom feeder, but just a mediocre Big 12 team. Yeah, that's kind of how I feel about them. They did get a solid recruiting class. They got a four-star quarterback, uh, um, Chiron Drones. And they did get some decent transfers, like Jacob Gall uh, as an interior uh, offensive lineman Siaki Ika as a defensive tackle from LSU so like they aren't like uh, dead in the water but Dave, Dave Aranda didn't really show uh, 
a ton of promise last year as a head coach. Although he did beat K State, K State was basically dead by that point in the we season. Were dead. Like like we 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 just like we were barely making it to games. Period. We were barely even qualifying uh, for games. Uh, just in terms of people we had active, and that goes for the Baylor game as well. And the fact that we nearly beat them is more an indictment of Baylor than of us. It hurts so bad to lose that game at the time. But with the gift of hindsight, it's a shock that we were even close in any of those games past uh, yeah. the KU. Past KU. Like, nah, and honestly, any of them, because we just got absolutely devastated by COVID uh, mm-hmm. in a lot of points. Granted, all teams have to deal with it, yada, 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 this and that. But regardless, KCA got hit really hard, and they were a team that was positioned to not get hit hard because we were a team that was really young, and we were a team that really needed that practice time because we just didn't have as many of the natural athletes yet and our athletes were hurt mm-hmm. like the good ones like Skyler was hurt Knowles played hurt most of the year Deuce was the only guy that was healthy that was an actual athlete and when you only have one guy that is consistently playing really good it's all of a sudden it becomes a lot easier to defend him <laughs> and yeah because you just like key in on him but Baylor they're a team that I think in a couple of years they could be good if Dave Aranda proves he has coaching chops. But until that point, I'm, I'm not going to be super worried about him. Uh, that's basically my piece on Baylor. Yeah. And just a, a final note on that is it's not only COVID after our season, but the news that we got that we won't go into uh, for for reasons of of levity for this podcast and not make it the most depressing thing that we've heard. The the news that was received by the Kansas State football team before the Iowa State game, I think that that was not... It, it was the nail in the coffin for the season. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Uh, I mean, you could just tell in the Iowa State game. I mean, because we, are, we already were down an unbelievable amount of players for... Uh, that game just because of COVID protocol. And we were just missing a lot of guys. And it, that was already tough going into it. Like, I think A.J. Parker was the only starter. Like, that was uh, healthy for that game, the secondary. And uh, you could tell. I mean, we just got absolutely boat raced. Uh, that was a game that honestly shouldn't have been played. Uh, same goes for Arkansas State and Texas. Those were games that should not have been played. Uh, like, like stuff like West Virginia. Like, yeah, we just straight up lost that. But, like, yeah. like... A lot of those losses, those were weeks where we did not practice because we simply didn't have the bodies, or we did practice and uh, we just didn't have enough people to like really, really practice properly. And that that's obvious with the gift of hindsight. And you look back at those games, you're like, "Wow, why did we look so like underprepared?" Well, it's because we were uh, because we just simply could not practice. And then like uh, other extenuating factors and circumstances. I mean, it's a miracle that we made it onto the field in some cases. Yeah. To, to move on to a, a brighter topic, let's just go ahead and move on to the next easiest opponent on our list. And this is another one where I feel that we might actually differ. And that is, I think the next easiest game will end up being, given the new transfers that we got, Nevada. I disagree. You disagree? I think it's Stanford. Would you like me to go into the reasons as to why we disagree? Uh, sure. Okay. 
So the reason why I'm not as scared of Nevada anymore is because we have definitively two people who will be playing nickel when their top receivers were a slot guy as well as a tight end. Having that definitive nickel back in a slot corner makes that offense not necessarily not scary, but it makes it less scary because our biggest weakness is not gone, but better compensated for. And as good as the quarterback in Nevada, Carson Strong, is, something I noticed going into a little bit of film study is that his ability to throw to the outside, especially in the inter intermediate to deep outside, is wildly inconsistent. So I think that the moment that he tries to throw pretty consistently to the outside, which we know he's going to want to do, as most Mountain West quarterbacks aim to do, is go for dagger plays, not necessarily dagger as a concept, but go for dagger to the heart plays on deep balls to the outside. I don't think that that's going to work for him. And I think that we're, our middle field coverage will be good enough to stop a Mountain West team that is going to try and throw the ball around on us, even if I believe that their quarterback has potential to get drafted very highly. Yeah, I don't disagree with anything that you said. The only reason I have Stanford above Nevada is I just simply think Stanford's worse. Like, like that's the only reason I have Stanford higher, uh, because they have such a low projected win total. Uh, they lose Davis Mills, and they already were not exactly a potent offense. And yep. uh, K-State historically has been a pretty good run-defending team uh, when healthy, which first game of the season, I'd imagine, will probably be healthy. Hopefully. And, yeah, right? And... I, I think that that Stanford game, I, I think it should be an easy game. I'm so nervous for it just because it's the next upcoming game, and I'm nervous for every game that happens. And I, I think that we should be able to handle them. Uh, I'm, I'm not confident that they have their quarterback situation figured out, and I'm I'm not confident in the rest of their team's ability to uh, uncover up that mess. And I also think that uh, um, David Shaw, um, the coach of Stanford, he's kind of coaching for his job this year, feels like, I think. Yeah. Stanford Stanford is uh, kind of taking a step back from where they were. They were uh, very good uh, this past decade, but the last couple of years they haven't been quite as good, uh, especially since the departure of Bryce Love to the NFL. Uh, I, I think that uh, he's going to see this as an opportunity to – really make a splash and try and reignite Stanford as a national brand. And we may see him get reckless in this game. Uh, as with it being a neutral site and the first uh, Power 5 non-conference game of the college football season. So I, I think K-State stands a really good chance because I think that we won't even need to out-scheme him, which I think we could do. I think he will out-scheme himself. And because I think he's going to try and... Yeah, I think he's going to... Uh, end up coaching like he has Andrew Luck and or like Christian McCaffrey on that football team when he doesn't have any of those standout guys. No. So I, I think that's the only reason that that Stanford game is going to be easier than Nevada. Because uh, I did actually, I did think about uh, throwing Nevada in this spot, but at the end of the day, uh, I do think Nevada is just simply a better team. Yeah. And I Stanford was my next up, and the only reason I have Stanford above Nevada is because it's the first game of the season, and I expect a lot of first game of the season yips, which, granted, both teams will have, but 
I've noticed that whenever K-State has the first game yips, they tend to be very, very bad, at least for yeah. a sizable portion of the game. And of course, the, the biggest and most recent example was Arkansas State, specifically on that punt that everyone in the stadium, including Chris Kleiman, was yelling, watch the fake, and then they proceeded to fake it. There's never been a more obvious fake punt situation, <laughs> and we, we still managed to give it up. And what's even more sad is that uh, uh, we actually covered it. Like, we, we still did it. We reacted a little late, but we still were there. We just literally got outplayed. And yep. if we just dropped back to where we knew they were going, we still could have knocked that down. Like, just nullified that. And that may create a different outcome for that game, and thus a completely different trajectory for the whole season. I mean, who knows about butterfly effect classes? Like, maybe maybe Skylar doesn't get hurt in the tech game. Like, completely different butterfly effect at that point. Yeah. And also, maybe we, maybe we don't beat OU. Yeah. But that's so off topic. That's a that's a whole different like alternate reality episode. We can do that another time. We can do yeah, a what if time. series. Yeah. Uh, send us send us something on Twitter or through email if you want to see a what if series that I've just thought of this and I feel like it might be a decent idea for off season. Yeah. And that's a uh, Aggieville Alley Cats, no capital letters at gmail dot com for our email and Aggieville A Cats on Twitter, capital A, capital A and capital C in cats. If you want to go ahead and follow the show and send us questions through there, our DMs are open, and the only things that we will not see is if you say that K-State is not winning the Natty, you will be immediately blocked. And this is not a joke. This is a promise. So We only manifest around here. Exactly. Which is why Jaron Kanak is going to commit to K-State tomorrow. Yeah, obviously. Um, <laughs> so I'm guessing that you and I just have Nevada and Stanford flipped, right? Right. Yeah, Nevada's okay. my next squad. Uh, basically, same reason that you listed, just like slight differences in opinion. But so there's so many school, like it barely matters. All right, now I'm curious to see who you have next up, because we're done with our non-cons. So now yeah, non-cons we're in the, gone and the conference play. Yeah, so that's through six games. Uh, just to review, uh, if I recall correctly, my order was KU, then Tech, Southern Illinois then Baylor, then Stanford, then Nevada. Yes. I, now all of a sudden we're into games that are not easy anymore. Uh, but my next team here is going to be TCU. Okay. I, I want to hear you. By the way, my list up to this point has been KU, Southern Illinois, Texas Tech, Baylor, Nevada, and then Stanford. And I, I just want to hear you go into why TCU is next on your list. TCU, I think, is the beginning of a list of good teams in which we're uh, definitely going to have dogfights with. Uh, mainly Max Duggan doesn't frighten me. He's kind of like Diet Skylar Thompson. And uh, so so we like, we like so in this case, we kind of know our enemy. And uh, when I've, I've kind of found that like when teams run a similar scheme to us, we play better. I think that's kind of part of the course, though. Yeah. Uh, uh, but the TCU, um, they they always have great athletes, uh, like almost always on their teams. Uh, but for some reason, it just doesn't always work. And Gary Patterson is also uh, on the verge of retirement down there in Fort Worth. So I 
It's ultimately going to come down to is Gary Patterson's last hurrah going to be a blaze of glory and he goes out with like a 10 win season and a bowl victory? Or is it going to be like a lot of uh, ends of careers where it's just like he ends with like a 4 and 8 season and then air quotes retires at the end of it? Yes, uh, heavy air quotes there. I lean towards somewhere in the middle where it's just going to be ending on mediocrity, which. As kind of gonna, that's kind of where TCU's averaged out to in the last decade. They've definitely been very hot and cold, but I think that uh, they'll have an average season because uh, I think they're an average team. I think that they match up with K-State well. I think we're in similar skill levels with K-State being better in some areas and TCU being better in others. Ultimately, though, uh, I, I think that K-State, um, by this point in the season... We're going to be coming off of what I'm assuming is a Texas Tech win. And we're going to get... Hopefully. And then we're going to be coming home after what is hopefully a dominant win, or at least a comfortable win. Uh, We'll be coming home to face TCU, a team that uh, historically we we fare pretty well against. Uh, I I foresee a win here just based on history, momentum, uh, general skill level, scheme, and... Um, also, until Zach Evans proves that he's worth his five-star rating, I'm going to assume that he's not worth his five-star rating. So if he ends up being incredible this year, then maybe this game becomes a little bit more difficult. But up until that point, we we will see. Yeah. And I I don't know why I was trolling with you like I disagreed. TCU is my next school. Up on yeah, I was wondering what you were going to say <laughs> other than TCU. I was like, yeah. the only school I could think of was West Virginia, but I know, I know that you don't think that. No, there, there, there are a couple of surprises that I have that I think will be easier than the West Virginia game. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I no, I, I totally get it. Yeah, I agree that Texas Christian University will be the the easiest game of the games that I'm sweating about. But the next easiest game is. This is where you start getting into... I only think that there's one game that is really this coin flip. That It's a coin flip that you feel good about, but it's still a coin flip nonetheless. This is where I actually kind of... This is where I feel we kind of step up a tier, especially for K-State football. And these are games that you circle on the calendar and say, okay, these will be defining games of the year. Right. That being said, I think it's pretty predictable what my next hardest game will be, and that is West Virginia, just because West Virginia has had our number for as long as I've been at K-State, and presumably a few years before, and until we prove that we're able to beat them, I just kind of assume that we can't, especially in the painful ways that we've lost to West Virginia. Right. So, I, but at the exact same time, I don't think that they're better than Oklahoma State, Iowa State, Oklahoma, Texas. Texas. Yeah, yeah, I don't. I don't think they're better than any of those schools. But I still think it will be a difficult game for the Wildcats, even if they're at home. Which yeah, the the home field advantage will come into play with a couple of my picks here. But you agree, West Virginia's yeah. next. No, yeah, I do agree. And I played with another team here, but ultimately I couldn't think of a reason to, like, 
say anyone else other than West Virginia. Like home field advantage is going to be big, and yeah, we haven't been able to beat them recently, but just like on paper, and then also just with timing in the year, like this is going to be coming off of a three game stretch of Texas Tech, TCU, and KU. Like, yeah. that is by far the easiest stretch of schedule that we have. I yeah, think ride the momentum. The, yeah, so we should ideally we should be coming out of that stretch undefeated, three and zero. Ideally, uh, in those in those three games, ideally, two and one I can maybe live with. Like we drop a game if we have a decent record. One and two, we should maybe burn it down. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> but yeah, I basically everything you said on West Virginia. That's gonna be a tough task. We should beat them. Will we? Probably not. Honestly, probably like, not. Like until Chris Kleiman shows he can out scheme Neil Brown. We've said this a million times. I will assume that he cannot. Yeah. Prove me wrong, Christopher. I don't know if his full name's actually Christopher. I assume. I honestly, but... it might be Christopher. It might be Christian. Maybe it's just it Chris. Might it might be. Anyway, who's the who's the next school on your list? I toiled with this one, uh, for a few reasons. Uh, I ultimately decided on Oklahoma State here. Really? I thought I did, mainly because I, I do think Oklahoma State will be good. But the remaining teams on here are OU, Iowa State, and Texas. And I think they're all just more difficult teams, period. And I think there's a certain level of good where home field advantage starts to be negated. And especially if we're having, like, an okay season. Like, Oklahoma State, obviously, that's a historically awful game for K-State. And I, I honestly think that there's a good chance that we lose this game. But I, it's not because they're the hardest opponent. It's because of just circumstance and uh, just uh, history. Uh, starting Big 12 play against Oklahoma State on the road is a tradition unlike any other for K-State. <laughs> and uh, that, that's going to be a really difficult game. Because, I mean, when we get to this point, it's there's not a ton differentiating these games from each other, in my opinion. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, I just kind of had to pick one to put here. Like, these next... Three to four are all very close for me uh, for various reasons. Like Oklahoma State, not as good as OU, Iowa State, or Texas in my book. But being on the road and historically just being a a difficult game, that still leaves them up there, but not surpassing just because of talent. As long as Spencer Sanders is their quarterback, I will not be super scared. I, I mean, like, if our defense last year was able to hold them to. I think was 13 offensive points. I feel pretty good, honestly. Yeah. This is where you and I are. I think this is going to be the biggest disparity in positioning between you and I because I have the next easiest game as Iowa State on October 16th at Bill Snyder Family Stadium. Not because I think that Iowa State will be bad and not because I think that they'll even be mediocre. I think they'll be a good team. But I think that an underrated part of it, you and I have different perspectives on this a lot, is that home field advantage is such, it's such a different thing for K-State, at least in the experiences that I've watched. Because I've seen games where, I'm obviously thinking of the Oklahoma game that we had at home, where we picked up momentum, and the moment that the crowd got into it, it was like, this groove that we got into absolutely now, right 
And if that was with Oklahoma, someone who we all expected to lose against, everyone in that stadium expected Oklahoma homecoming. We're going to get pantsed on national television. And then we ended up winning. But I don't feel like if it's a rivalry game, I don't feel like we need that extra push of momentum at the very beginning. I think the crowd's going to be into it at the very beginning. And I think that Brocktober comes to an abrupt end at Bill Snyder Family Stadium on October 16th, 2021, at the hands of Skylar Thompson and the Kansas State Wildcats. I think that that is the closest thing to a sure thing that I get from all of these games, which basically means that it is literally a coin flip. Not a coin flip you feel good about, but a coin flip nonetheless, because I feel like they're two equally tiered teams but I feel like home field advantage might push it over the edge. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. And I I will admit that is the school that I was toiling with here. It was between Oklahoma State and Iowa State for me uh, for this slot. Uh, so that I guess that kind of pushes me into the next spot, which is Iowa State. And it was very similar reasons uh, for you, except I do think that will struggle a little more, mainly because of just how poorly we played last year. Granted, some of that was extenuating circumstances, but I am basing some of this off of performances last year, which maybe I should take your position on it and basically have it be a mulligan year where maybe nothing really counts that much. Plus, we should be reloading on defense and offense. And Iowa State will be doing the same, but I think they benefited a lot last year from returning a ton of production. And we were not in the same vein there. We lost a lot of starters. Uh, But Iowa State this year, I think that's going to be a absolutely bussing game there's oh, no other way to put that's gonna i mean having insane. having back back-to-back home games against ou and iowa state in early and mid-october is we're absolutely spoiled i must say oh, like yeah. to have those. the only thing that makes me sad is that there's a bye week between there's a them, bye so week right in the middle so i will have two weeks of school between beating ou and beating iowa state at home <laughs> And I don't you want to get wait that two... weekend to come down. Yeah, and I don't want to wait two weeks in between beating two AP top 10 teams at home and storming the field. But unfortunately, <laughs> that's just the reality of the situation that we're in. So, yeah. But I would say I do... get arrested for yeah. climbing the goalposts. Yeah, honestly, you know what? We need to bring back the tradition of carrying the goalposts off the field. We used to do that, and that's awesome. We need to steal the goalposts and run them to Aggieville, like the old-timers <laughs> did. Back in my day. Back in my day. You know, that's a that's an acceptable back in my day, in my <laughs> that's opinion. Fair. Like, like that is a lot cooler than the stuff that we do right now. Right that's used true. to be a lot cooler. Like, I was listening to uh, another K-State podcast, and they were talking about how much uh, rivalries used to be cooler back in the day. Like, pranks were more elaborate and stuff like that. Like, the KU students, uh, this will completely tip off, like, what podcast was. It was Bosco's Boys. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, KU, uh, their students came and stole uh, uh, Bosco's blanket that he like wore over him, uh, like during games with like the KSU colors and stuff like that. Bosco the dog, if you're unfamiliar with him, the former live dog that was the mascot of K State for like six years. Yep. And they came and stole his blanket, which is a borderline war crime. And then yeah, Casey did actually commit a war crime because they went to Lawrence and they stole a literal cannon from KU's <laughs> campus and brought it back to Manhattan, which is awesome. When was the last time we did something that cool for Sunflower Showdown? I mean, we can't even play Sandstorm and not get called out by our own athletic department. Granted, that was John Curry's athletic department, 
Gene's a little cooler about it. Like play Sandstorm Cowards. Yeah, yeah, play Sandstorm Cowards. Like like Mean Gene gets it. At least to some degree. Is he perfect? No. But he allows Sandstorm. And for that he has at least some degree of respect from me. I, yeah. I like that. It's good on you, Gene. That's completely yeah. separate from what we're talking about. Exactly. Regardless, <laughs> I was happy we brought it up. Yeah, it needed to be said, I think. And uh, I would say third hardest game of the season. These last four, all very, very hard. Yeah. So, next up on this list, I actually have, and this is where, this is where you you start to tell how much I value the home field advantage at Bill Snyder Family Stadium. Because I feel like the next easiest game is not Oklahoma State or Texas, it is Oklahoma. Because that's how much I value the home field advantage at Bill Snyder Family Stadium. Because here's what here's the situation that, that I see kind of breaking down here. I think we win our first three non-cons. I think that we lose to Oklahoma State, which may spoil my take for what the hardest game of the season is for me. And I think that we come into to home field to Manhattan, Kansas, and I think a bunch of people are riled up. Not only because we're playing Oklahoma and we've beat them two years in a row, but because you also have the fact that we lost Oklahoma State last week and we're gonna want we're we're gonna be thirsting for the W. And also I feel like Spencer Rattler is I'm sorry if he listens to this podcast, but firstly, why? But I feel Spencer Rattler is hateable enough to where you get that that little that little dab that like that little pinch of vitriol that would be added to it that might, pardon the pun, rattle him just a little bit more. I will not pardon that pun. I am <laughs> sorry. <laughs> you you but will I... be brought to justice for that pun, sir. <laughs> you stole you my th- cannon. <laughs> as they say, you will be thrown in the penitentiary for that. Pu- Alright. But I feel Alright. I I feel like K State will be riding high because they'll come into this home field, which is gonna be a jumping environment. And it better be. It, it's listen, because we're going to have full capacity again, and do you I feel like that's going to take every single sport up to eleven in terms of intensity. Because I people agree will that. appreciate it. <laughs> Yeah, like, I think that first major home game against OU, that's going to be a whole event. And I really hope that people are able to come back out to uh, games. They come out in droves. I hope we have sellouts this year. I hope we have a lot of sellouts. Oh, we Cause, will. Because in the, like, 2011 to, like, 2016 like 16 range of me being a fan, I went to most home games, and we had a long sellout streak. We were, like, 30 games straight. So it was, like, five years where we sold out every home game. And then, like, I think it ended in 2018. And uh, 2019, it was, like, about the same. Like, we sold out a couple games, I think. Mm-hmm. But it it's kind of sad to see from a longtime fan uh, perspective because we just had that period of time where we were so passionate, and we were, we were coming out to even, like, the less exciting games. But that's like just not happening as much because people aren't going to as many live sporting events. I get it; they're expensive, but they are. It's nothing like watching them on TV. Oh, absolutely not. And COVID has shown me that. Like I have seen the light more than I ever thought I would, as a fan. Like, like that is one of the very few positives that came from lockdown. Like it may be the only positive is that I think it 
reaffirmed appreciation for stuff like being in a sold out crowd and yelling until you have heart palpitations at uh, Jalen Hurts that he sucks because he does. <laughs> yeah, and, and that was, I think that that's a memory I'll carry forever. And I feel that memories are going to be made. Another set of memories are going to be made at Bill Snyder Family Stadium on October 2nd. I sound like a wrestling promoter. Like a WWE yeah. promoter. Meet your friends Memories at the Bill. will be made. Memories at will Summer be made. Slam. Um, Blood will be spilled. Spilled. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. I feel that home field advantage makes that game much easier. And who do you have next? Uh, for the number two hardest game? Three. I thought we just did three. No, we... No, you did four. Because you said Iowa State was four. I said Oklahoma State was four. Then I did Iowa State. I suppose we're at two now. <laughs> Wait, then where did you put Oklahoma? I haven't said them yet. I'm about to, though. Oh, right. I keep going off of my list. Yeah, like, because... Gosh, my <laughs> list went KU, Texas Tech, Southern Illinois, Stanford, Nevada... Wait, no, no, no. It was KU, Texas Tech, Southern Illinois, Baylor, Stanford, Nevada, then TCU... West Virginia, Oklahoma State, Iowa State, and now Oklahoma. Okay. I thought about putting Texas in here, but I, I do have a respect for home field advantage. Uh, not as much as I used to, mainly because we used to be louder, and it makes me sad that we aren't as loud as we used to be. I get that. But we will be this year. I hope so. We better be. KSU students, you you better be loud as hell this year. I don't think it's the students. I don't think it's the students. We aren't the students are not as loud as they used to be. But granted, a lot of it is the West Side fans that just sit there all game. The East Side, even like the non-students, the East Side standing, like because uh, when I was a kid, my season tickets were uh, in the section directly next to the uh, uh, furthest reaches of ICAT. So like okay. On the south side of the 50, on like the 33. Okay. And uh, we were standing the entire game with the students, and the section next to us was, and the section next to them. But then once you got, if you look across to the other side where the chairbacks are, they're just sitting the entire game, like not making any noise, not getting involved in anything, just like kind of tuned out. And that sucks. Yeah. And, and student uh, attendance is down as well. And that needs to get back up or else we're going to lose our good spots. And luckily, that's not happening this year. So it won't affect me. But I don't want it to affect students in the future. Because it's going to affect me. <laughs> probably. If it does happen. But um, if they get moved to like a poor spot on the field, that's going to hurt the team. That's actually going to hurt the games. Because right now, the tactical spot of being uh, directly behind the opposing bench is a big advantage, honestly, I think. Like, that, that's Absolutely. a perfect spot. And they're also just great seats. I mean, like, ICAT is, like, on the 50-yard line. There's no other country, or no other uh, college in the country that does that, as far as I know. And the same goes for basketball. So that's this yeah. whole side tangent, but it's basically me, just, like, if any students are listening, go to the OU game, or you're dead to me, unless you, like, don't have tickets for good reasons, in which, like, that's understandable, and everybody's situation is different. But, but if you do have tickets... Said. If you do have tickets and you don't go to the OU game and it isn't for like a death in the family or something like that, I like if you have a broken leg, you better drag yourself there. Like your professors will understand. I'll, I'll carry you. 
I will carry you to the <laughs> game. I will physically carry you to that regulation collegiate football game in which K-State will defeat the Oklahoma Sooners. And Boomer yeah. Sooner will be played for the final time ever. <laughs> ever. Uh, I actually did. Whenever we, this is a completely different tangent. Whenever we did beat Oklahoma in 2019, I legit had professors cancel homework. <laughs> I did not have that. My professors weren't cool. Sad. I know. Sad. Sad to say. But my number two hardest game of the year has to go to against the University of Texas on Black Friday. And the reason why is because we're coming off of the Baylor game, and I very much believe in momentum. And I believe it will be hard. I believe it will be extraordinarily difficult. I I think if you go back and listen to how I was talking in the the pre the season preview episode, I I feel like I wanted to die that entire segment. And that hasn't gone away because I still don't think tech I still don't think Skylar Thompson is going to have a very good game. And this is the game that, obviously, I feel is a very good chance of us losing. Because it's Black Friday, which already messes with your predetermined ritual. Because I don't care what anyone says. Playing on a different day screws with your rituals. It does. And you're playing on Black Friday. Yes, you're coming off a win against Baylor, which is why it's not number one. Spoiler take. But... Just that idea that in Texas, as much as I like to meme on Texas fans by saying, oh, Texas is back, and then they're never back, and yet still somehow ranked in the top 15, like 8 and 4, but that's neither here nor there. I just, this game scares me because it's the last game of the season, not including the bowl game, which I just kind of hope we get. I but think you mean the college football playoff. The bowl game that we get, which will be the Liberty Bowl. Okay. <laughs> Listen here. Buddy. Listen here. Listen here, pal. Guy. I've had enough of your shenanigans. You've been acting up this whole episode. This whole if, episode? And if you mention even the thought of K State going to the Liberty Bowl again. I will end this and change the passwords to our social media. <laughs> don't. Don't change our legendary password. Now you know. This is the line. Ace. <laughs> this is it. We've drawn it in the sand. If if you touch it again, no UN war crime tribunal will stop me. <laughs> Book it. K-State Air Force uh, Liberty Bowl. <laughs> Well, this has been a great episode of Aggieville Alleycats, everybody. Make sure to follow us on social media. Don't this is the end of the podcast. Because his days are numbered. Because <laughs> Connor's already doing it and he has a knife. I am driving back right now. Anyway, neither... I think Texas is the second hardest game. Yeah, I understand that. I think that... Uh, uh, Texas is going to end up being the hardest game. I thought of, I thought about putting OU there, but you you kind of convinced me with your home field advantage arguments. Even if I don't think our advantage is as good as it used to be, uh, I think Texas is set up. I think that's set up to be a ridiculously difficult game um, because the last time we played there, we were ranked like 16th or whatever the cursed rank, whatever yeah, number the it is. Teen ranks whenever we have. 
Yeah. Six number sixteen ranked K State is like zero and one hundred in the competitions against. Yeah, ever. <laughs> and uh, it's, I think this game against Texas that's a trap game. I mean, because we have all of our hard games for the most part at the beginning. Then we have like Tech, TCU, KU, West Virginia, Baylor, which like the only one of those games that I like actually am going to be really sweating about is probably West Virginia, like maybe Baylor, but. The rest of those games, those should be ones that we handle. Uh, TCU, I guess, will be kind of difficult, but those hard games are all home, which makes me feel good. Texas is a hard game, and it's on the road, and I don't like that. No. And I especially don't like it being on Black Friday for the team. I love it for an exposure perspective, and I love it as a watcher of football because we're going to be on primetime Fox the day after a ton of NFL games, and people are going to be like, wow, I wish there was more football. And so they're going to go back to the channel that had a ton of football games on the previous day and find that there's more. And one of the teams is Texas, which everyone knows, and they love to make fun of, Texas. And so they'll watch in the hopes that Kansas State University can defeat them. Because there's no pastime like dunking on Texas, other than dunking on <laughs> Iowa State. Yeah. And K State's the good guys again. I feel I feel like this is a completely. We'll we'll save this for the very end. This will be another miscellaneous segment that we can spend five minutes on. But by process of elimination, you know what my hardest game of the year is, yes. and that's Oklahoma State. Yes. Why? Because we lost to them last year, and it's the first conference game. And we always. That's lose why. To them on the road. And we always lose to them. When Except it's for that road. one time when Byron Pringle had like eighty touchdowns in a single game, and we still almost blew it. That's an edge the, case. <laughs> yeah, we, we went up 45-17 to 17 that game and won 45-42. And it was all because Mason Rudolph overthrew a pass. Woo! Yeah, it was not super encouraging. But a dub is a dub. And it was another Skylar Thompson AP Top 10 win. He has the most active AP Top 10 wins of any starting quarterback in FBS. Three. The more you know. The more you know. Right? But it's not cool. Yeah. Yeah, so basically, Skylar Thompson is just going to pants everyone to, on this year. Yeah, so. we're saying we're yeah we're listing games by difficulty, but what we're not telling you is they're actually all the same difficulty, like which is easy <laughs> mode and Skylar's easy just going to go for baby 400. mode, baby yeah. mode. Yeah, the yeah the the training bars are on, and we got the training wheels and everything on here. I mean, that's all going to be easy. Yeah, playing so, on freshman. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, I played on freshman NCAA 14 once in a Road to Glory game. I threw for, I think, 812 yards. The sad thing is when you play enough on Heisman to where it's basically like playing on freshman. Like, because, <laughs> like, I just did that for my Wichita State Dynasty, and I won every single game by at least 50 points with the exception of the first game and the last two games. And the first mm -hmm. game was because I hadn't played the game in, like, eight months and this in the last two games i was playing at the time number two ranked texas and then uh oh it was the last three because uh, it was at the time number two ranked texas then number two ranked ou in the baseball championship the following week and then the national championship against ohio state who was number two ranked and i averaged like 70 points a game yep. and it was not it wasn't fun it wasn't fun <laughs> it wasn't fun you gotta get sliders but Anyway, this leads us to the missile. Well, actually, we'll do a full recap of our easiest to hardest games list. I'll go first. Easiest Kansas 
followed by Southern Illinois, Texas Tech, Baylor, Nevada, Stanford, TCU, West Virginia, Iowa State, Oklahoma, Texas, and the hardest game of the year will be the Big 12 Conference opener at Stillwater, Oklahoma against Oklahoma State. All right, I'll now read mine. Uh, we started the same. We had KU as the easiest, followed by Texas Tech. Then after that, I had uh, oh geez, who did I have? Stanford. You had Southern Illinois. No, I had I had Stanford. Before. No, no, no. You're right. I did have Southern Illinois, and then I had uh, Baylor. Then mm-hmm. Stan. I didn't write these down. I'm literally just looking at my lock screen because it's the schedule. Yeah. <laughs> as you can see. Uh, then they can't Baylor. See it. Yeah, Stanford, Nevada. Yeah, you guys can see. I showed Ace, though. (laughs) Stanford, then Nevada. Then, I believe it was TCU. Then West Virginia. Then Oklahoma State. Then Iowa State, Oklahoma, Texas. Yep. And this is the miscellaneous segment that didn't make it onto the script or the outline that we have because it's just something that I thought of. And that's K-State seems to be the good guys again. And what I mean by K-State is the good guys again is we seem to be a team that no one in particular hates unless you're one of our two primary rivals or a team that we beat. So on any given Saturday, if you're not the team that you're going up against at K-State, you're probably going to root for K-State because everyone's going to want to root for the underdog that's beat Oklahoma twice. Everyone's going to root for anybody versus Texas. And I feel like of the two fan bases and the two characters, no shade to Iowa State except for all the shade that I mean by saying this, I feel like K-State is the infinitely more likable team. So I think that right. K-State are the good guys again. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, and I like what you said about Iowa State because I hate Iowa State and anything good that comes out about them. Um, I, I don't like that they've been media darlings for the last uh, year or so. Like They have like it is kind of unfortunate because, like, K-State, like, back when we were having great seasons, we did not get the treatment that Iowa State's getting. I mean, they're being treated as, like, the next thing on God's green earth, like, to sprout and be incredible, like, be a natty contender. Where, <laughs> yeah, when at the same time, this is the first time, or they still haven't had a double-digit win season, ever. They had nine wins last year. They, they are yet to have a double-digit win season. I don't think it'll be this year. I think they will have another nine-win season, but that will be worse than last year because they'll play more games. And I think they will have one embarrassing loss, and that will be to the Wildcats at Kansas State because we will destroy them 70-0. And Brock Purdy will cry. Okay. Um, And we'll all point and laugh. (laughs) I don't think I'll go quite that far, but... For the final miscellaneous segment, I'm just, I love telling this story. I've told it three times now, all of which were before the podcast, because I heard it 20 minutes before the podcast started, because we have a tradition here of, we say that we're going to record, and then we end up recording an hour and a half past when we were originally supposed to record. Yeah, we basically do the entire podcast once just by conversing. Like, we don't yeah. mean to, but we just, like, kind of talk, and we just don't, never start, because it's yeah. more structured when we start, but we just kind of ramble, like, yeah. before this even happens. But, hey, but... what's the what's the bonus segment, Ace? What is it? 
Tell the story. It is. <laughs> it is. Okay, so for context, Jaden Bender is a recruiting target for K-State for the next year's recruiting cycle and recruiting class. And recently he had a visit to Kansas State University where he was posting pictures of himself doing what most recruits do, wearing the uniforms and looking amazing in the all-white uniforms, because anyone can look amazing in the all-white uniforms. Make sure to go like our petition to uh, wear the all-whites more. Yeah, exactly. I mean, honestly, can that just... No, I, I love the purple too much to have it be permanent. We need darker but, purple. Uh, I disagree, because then you That's... end up looking like TCU. But no. TCU, TCU has like about the same shade as us. I think that we need a darker purple though, because TCU right. has like black. We used to have like royal purple. We're now just kind of purple purple. Like I want yeah. our old like if we're gonna wear purple, it should be like our '90s shade. I think. But that's just me. Yeah, but anywho, so <laughs> so Jaden Bender posted all of these pictures, and you know you get your typical inflow of people commenting on the post. A lot of them are K-State fans, really excited to get another guy on the team. But there are a few KU fans who want to try and pull Jaden Bender to commit to the University of Kansas. With one person in particular typing rock chalk, and Jaden Bender perhaps had the greatest response that he could have had to this. He responded with a simple, all lowercase, nah. Let's break this down. <laughs> what really is the greatest thing about this, this right-handed retort from recruit extraordinaire Jaden Bender, who truly just seems to have a different level of understanding of the recruitment process compared to other recruits, he understands that he doesn't need to go on some long-winded tangent in the comment section and say you know, something like, Good sir, if you had any decency... You would know not to comment such things under a post about a different squad than your particular team. However, this Jaden Bender has a mind of his own, and it's beautiful. He understands that sometimes to attack a complicated issue, the best offense is a simple one. He, he doesn't think about all the motion required for a triple option or some unbelievably intense air raid scheme he looks at that and says half that guy the the football play equivalent of nah have you ever seen something so simple yet so beautiful ace let's go back to our friend i think he's recovering <laughs> to, to quote the man himself nah nah I think that that should honestly be athletic slogan. Like, K-State Athletics should just switch to nah. Can I bring a sign to the K- Oh, wait. No, it's in Lawrence. I'm going to bring a sign my senior year in honor of Jaden Bender to the KU game. Just nah. Nah. Because <laughs> he'll be on the team by then, assuming he commits. Which, I mean, at this point, I'll be so disappointed if he doesn't. I mean, because he, he just gets it. He just knows what we want to hear. And even if he's uh, just saying it for that reason, I have a ton of respect for him. I have tears in my eyes for laughing. Yeah, it, it takes a special kind of individual to just have the tact to say something so elegant. 
<laughs> anyway, that's it for the bonus segment. Yeah, that that actually, and that's the last segment of the podcast that we wanted. It didn't fit anywhere else. We just thought it was really funny. Yeah, that was. But that was it. That pretty well concludes this episode of Aggieville Alley Cats. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to give us a follow, no matter what podcasting platform you're on, so you can get notified whenever we post new episodes. And if you're feeling so inclined, Connor and I would certainly be humbled if you chose to support us financially. Because the reality of the situation is we're both college students, and almost every single dollar that you give us, even if it's just one dollar, will go towards us either making the show better by putting forth more time into equipment, research, and film study, or go towards us existing and living, which some would argue leads to better podcasting if the both participants are alive. I've heard that. <laughs> I've heard that. Some, some say. Some say that being alive makes a podcast better from a host perspective. Yeah, but honestly, we're just honored that you've listened to this so far. Give us a follow at Aggieville Acats on Twitter and follow any questions that you have at AggievilleAlleyCats at gmail.com as well as, well, I lost where I was going with this. <laughs> I don't know where you were going either. Well, I mean, I can't do the introduction perfect every time. Not pictured the 37 <laughs> takes that he did panicking in the mirror, not show <laughs> before this even starts. But this, thank you, you guys. You said so you said introduction. I know. <laughs> but thank you all so much for supporting us and what we do. We really appreciate every single listener that we get. Be sure to send us any questions that you have, and as always with the Aggieville Alley Cats, come rain, shine, or anything in between. We'll always be here with your K-State recruiting news as well as our general takes on them. I'm Ace Edwards, along with my co-host. I was going to say my name. Uh, and I'm Connor <laughs> Balthazar. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. Have a wonderful day.